BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. This episode of The Huddle is brought to you by the Athletic Club Oakland, my go-to sports bar in the East Bay. This will be a shock to no one. I love watching sports, and I love it even more while at a sports bar. But to be honest, there was a long period of time where I just couldn't find one I really liked. I'd hit a spot that had TVs, but the food sucked ass. Or a place that had good food, but they wouldn't show the game I wanted, and the inside felt dark and depressing. It was always some trade-off or sacrifice, and that's done now. The ACO is exactly what I'm looking for. They have a huge space, including an outdoor spot where they shut down an entire street and called it the town gardens. They have more than a hundred televisions, which can and will show every game you ask for. And they have great food. The ACO has everything you need to comfortably watch your favorite team in any sport at any time with passionate fans. I love it. And I'm pretty damn sure you will too. The Athletic Club Oakland, where sports fans get everything they want, every day they want it. We're going to bring y'all into our huddle. You are in. Where's Huddle with me, Bram, with you, usual. My boy and producer, Marcus. What's up, Nation? And our master of all things video and sound, Maxine. How's it going? Gentlemen, I am fired up to announce that rejoining us after way too long, a national NBA specialist for the Washington Post, an accomplished basketball writer who has penned multiple cover stories for publications like Sports Illustrated, the host of the Greatest of All Talk podcast and the author of Bubble Ball, and finally a man who has already fallen in love with Victor Wenbenyama, Mr. Ben Gulliver. What's going on, Ben? Not much, guys. How's it going? Uh, you know, we, we speak here a couple of days after that big Saturday night showdown between the Celtics and the Warriors. I was up there, got my first taste. I had my second taste, actually, of Chase uh, Center this year. Both times uh, it was fantastic. Both times uh, the Warriors went away with huge home wins. You know, they sent the Lakers packing on opening night and then uh, sent the Celtics down to L.A. on kind of a, a somber note for them, I'd say, after the uh, shellacking on Saturday. I mean, can we just pause and congratulate Ben for being so fucking professional? So we're coming off an ass whooping by Milwaukee. I've been kind of weird about it. We didn't even bring it up, you know, before we hit record here. And Ben just smoothly jumps into the two things knowing that would make us feel better. We went right back to Boston. So nicely played. Um, And I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity, Ben. I just listened to your podcast with Waz about when Benyama, I gave that. And being able to like ask you this question because I was screaming at my radio. So you guys covered, and I thought it was really interesting, the floor-ceiling comparison of Victor and LeBron. You know, and, and you point out that LeBron's physique make his floor way higher, and that makes perfect sense to me. 
But what was intimated, but not really discussed, it sounds like you think the ceilings are similar. Do, do you view when Benyama's upside the same way you view LeBron's? So if Victor hits his best case scenario, um, you know, prepare to rename this the Wembenyama huddle and you're going to just be chasing the money for the rest of, uh, you know, the rest of your career because it's going to be the biggest thing the NBA has ever seen if he hits his ceiling. If he hits his ceiling, we're talking about the best offensive player in the NBA, right? He's completely unguardable. He's dunking everything around the basket. He's finishing at a rate like Rudy Gobert while also shooting three-pointers like, uh, you know, Kevin Durant creating off of the dribble, you know, being the number one focal point of an offense while also dribbling the ball up the court in Giannis-like fashion and daring people to step in and take charges as he does it, while simultaneously being the best defensive player in the NBA, even though he doesn't like to play defense because his arms are so long, he can be four steps out of position, just stick his arms out like go-go gadget, and you're going to, you know, block people at the rim. Uh, It's insane what his uh, ceiling could be and I think that's what's got everybody you know really really intoxicated now is it you know borderline disrespectful to try to put that kind of pressure on anyone or or to say well you could be uh, as good as LeBron sure it is but it was disrespectful for for LeBron to say you could be the next Jordan or you're the hybrid of Magic and Mike and 20 years later the people who were on that boat looking pretty good and I think that's why the 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 difference between LeBron and Wembenyama is prospects it's not about their ceiling the best case scenario is so beautifully rosy both ways it's about the added risk and the floor that could come for Wembenyama if he can't stay healthy because he's so thin in his lower body because he's so tall and because we've seen players who are built like that uh, occasionally struggle with foot or leg injuries that kind of send their careers a different direction but dude I mean, if you want to get excited, honestly, meditate, just do a meditation, calm app, watch some Wembenyama highlights before you do it, and then just spend like 10 to 15 minutes straight with your eyes closed, picturing what the next 15 or 20 years are going to look like. You're going to come out very peaceful, but also probably with your heart still going like this because you can't even believe what this guy can do. <laughs> the next 10 to 15 minutes isn't going to be spent meditating for me. It's going to be spent copyright or copywriting when Benyama huddle. I mean, and don't, and in fact, Maxime beat Ben to that. I mean, that's a really yeah. good idea. And we don't want to be on the outside looking in, you know, he could like squat on that name and then we'd be completely screwed. Uh, ben, we need you. All right. So, confusing beginning to the season, confusing week. You know, they just beat the hell out of Boston and then got their ass beat in Milwaukee, but you can stretch that confusion throughout the year. And so I've kind of been holding on to these larger picture questions for when we had you back on, because you provide not only a national perspective, but some objectivity. You know, I I am a homer. These guys are a little bit less so, but we all bring our fandom to this. So we needed you to give us some objectivity. Well, don't forget my credentials too. Oh, you will then, and we actually we only have credentialed hosts. Um, and <laughs> friend of the podcast, Connor, is somewhere being really angry that we talked about this. So I'll whisk us away. It's it's all right. Before we get to the golden questions, glass half full. So here, Ben and boys, we look back. Ben, look as far back as you want. Yeah, I mean, from the beginning of the season, if you like, gentlemen, maybe we focus on this past week. But give me something you like or don't like about Warriors basketball, and to give you some time to think, I'll go first, J.K.'s maturation. Uh, this isn't a new point. We've been talking about it, but it feels like on an almost game-by-game basis, we are watching him slowly grow up, and the measuring stick for me isn't his athleticism. He has that. He has always had that. He had that in the G League. It isn't his physicality, none of that. 
It's the patience. And he is. He has become a patient defender. He's getting a lot more patient on the offensive end. And so I'm all, I've been weird about him. I go, I'm all or nothing. I'm all the way back in now. I'm a huge JK guy. So what do I like? I like Kaminga's development. What do you guys got? Well, I can hop in. I'll tell you, you know, if you're saying, you know, take a big step backwards, consider the whole breadth of the season. I would look at Steph Curry's personality. And we just had this conversation about ceiling and floor. So maybe that's why it's on my mind. But you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the value of Steph's uh, kind of infectious personality, the joy that he brings to the game and all that stuff when things are going well, right? Because it's basically the most fun that anyone's had in the NBA in the last 10 years. He's doing, you know, the put you to bed celebrations. His kids are being unbelievably adorable in post-game press conferences. And it's like just the most feel-good time, right? You look at this Warriors season, and I see a real value to his leadership personality. I mean, first of all, Draymond punched a teammate. Let's not forget about that. I, I'm sure you guys have him, but that's a pretty big crisis. How did that happen? Uh, I, I, I didn't know that happened. Pretty big, pretty big crisis, and I think Steph, you know, kind of helped pull people through that. On opening night, Steve Kerr had me, you know, eating uh, out of the palm of his hand uh, when he was saying, you know, this is going to be a strength and numbers group. We're going to be playing 11. It's going to be great. And it's like three weeks later, it's like, is there anybody on the bench who can play at all? Do we have anybody, you know, like, can we, we have to start six players and just use those six guys simultaneously for the entire game uh, to make sure Poole gets a little bit of a look, right? Again, if you don't have a good leadership personality there and your whole philosophy of what the season is going to look like from a minute standpoint goes one direction and then it just hits, uh, you know, a 90 degree curve and it's like, what, you know, now who are we? Um, that could be an identity crisis. Really hasn't been for the Warriors. You go on a long road trip, drop in every game. I'm sure you guys were so mad when you're recording your podcast coming out of some of those games. Like, what are they doing losing to the Orlando Magic? Again, great opportunity for a team coming off of a really long season with a bunch of old legs, uh, some guys with some contract stuff hanging, Draymond Green and others, to splinter, right? Great sure. opportunity for people to maybe just go a different direction. And then this weird road thing, I don't know how to exactly explain it, but like you just mentioned the Milwaukee game a second ago, like, yeah, didn't exactly show up there in the way that you would yeah. want it and kind of got your butts kicked, right? So there's been real, uh, I don't want to say like a series of crises, but a real series of hurdles that they've kind of had to overcome. And to me, they still have their essence. They can still get up for these, you know, big matchups against the Boston Celtics. They still have faith in their overall plan of who they are and their ability to kind of compete with the best of the best because Steph Curry is an awesome basketball player. And he's also an awesome person who's just kind of keeping these people in line and keeping everybody in check. That's about as glass, uh, glass half full as I can go with these guys. But, you know, that's one reason I've got them third right now in the MVP conversation, even though their record's terrible. And usually I'm a big, uh, you know, reward winning type of guy. I mean, Steph's just, you know, he's playing out of his mind, but he's also uh, not getting enough credit, I think, for kind of, you know, keeping people on the same, uh, you know, on the same track. I love that. Uh, and it's an angle that we almost take for granted here in the Bay Area. You know, the, the type of leadership that he is providing on a moment by moment basis. I really enjoy that. Uh, here, let me let me quarterback this so we don't have another awkward pause on figuring out who's going to talk next. MT, do you have a glass half full for us? <laughs> I do. Um, half empty. What I don't like um, is, is your camera. The we can't see you at all, by the way. Your camera is terrible. It's terrible. Okay. Yeah. Back to 2G. Sorry, no. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, just a free throw disparity. I, you know, I, we'll probably cover it um, a little bit later, but um, as we do, just seeing the 
the differences in the way that Steph in particular and then the Warriors are being refereed. Um, you know, you don't like to lean on that. You don't like to use it as a crutch or an excuse for a few games. But at this point, uh, past a quarter away into the season, the stats are starting to be a little too consistent. And it's 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 going beyond frustrating to a point where you're you're wondering if something really is up for why we're not getting the calls that we should be getting. We saw Steph, who is universally known as mild-mannered, you know, the polite killer. Um, <laughs> if, if he's ever gotten any yeah. real criticism on this fucking show is that he hasn't lost his mind enough to get the calls. We saw him lose his mind. It finally happened, you know, and then, and yeah. then Kerr almost got thrown out too. And it's not, it didn't seem like histrionics to me. It, it felt like, you know, fury finally boiling over. And MT, of course you're right. We will be talking about officiating. In fact, it's one of the... Uh, the main things we'll be talking about. But before we turn to that, Maxime, you got anything? Yeah, I got a couple of things just uh, at the end here. One, we want to give some glass half full, and I actually feel like it ends up in, in both sides of the glass. But um, I'm excited about what Jordan Poole's been doing lately. Uh, I feel like he's finally found his footing a little bit. And then again, he kind of lost his footing. I feel like, you know, he's having a tough time as he becomes the face of the league for some of these carry situations and is um, having more attention paid to him. And it's interesting how he's changed up some of his strategies and he's like pushing the ball ahead a lot that led to some boneheaded turnover stuff. But I feel like he's he's trying to stretch his game and I'm excited for it. I think it's going to end up in the right place because you can tell he's a really hard worker and he's willing to put in the effort to to figure that stuff out. And it's it's kind of compelling. But the thing that I didn't like um, is, is uh, uh, Drew Holiday specifically, right? The fact that Drew Holiday wasn't in the game, that's not a great sign considering how badly the Bucks beat us. And I would just say on top of that, right? Chris Middleton uh, wasn't in the playoff series against uh, the Celtics, which is maybe one of the main reasons why the Celtics made it out of the East. That has me real concerned when we're looking at another, you know, Eastern Conference uh, playoff picture that could have the Bucs making it all the way out. If we do end up making it to the finals and have to play the Bucs, I'm pretty scared. And it's not a good sign that we were trounced that hard, especially um, defensively from the Bucs without Drew Holiday in the picture. You didn't like a 20-point ass-kicking that never felt really close after a half? Weird. Yeah, no, I really had a fun time with that game. Um, <laughs> Milwaukee is my prohibitive favorite. I mean, I, I've been watching what the Celtics are doing, and I'm impressed, but it's still Milwaukee for me. But we'll, we'll, we'll cross the Milwaukee bridge when we need to. We only have one more game against them, right? And if we're lucky enough to be in the finals, we'll talk it out there. Um, I'll give you one more thing I like, and actually it's going to be in the form of Judgment Theater just for me. But what do I like every moment of that Boston game? I can't remember a regular season game that I enjoyed more. But I went, as you boys know, and we'll have some details about that as we go forward. But Ben, I need your, uh, your opinion on a few things here. All right, so went to the game, went with my wife. She's always kind of holding my leash as a fan. I mean, I, I tend to drink a little <laughs> bit too much of those games. And like then I'm, I'm kind of an asshole personality. And that's really true in those kind of games, right? So we go and sitting in front, but two seats to the left are, I'll say a younger couple. My guess, I'm, my ages are all fucking skewed, but I, my guess is probably mid 20s, somewhere like that. It's this white dude who had a Boston uh, jersey over a sweatshirt and then the person he was on a game or on a date with. And they were demonstrative before that game started. I mean, they're to anyone who would make eye contact with them, they're talking shit. Then the game starts. Every time Tatum has the ball, He's uh, screaming MVP, and every time Boston hits a free throw, the two of them stand up and scream, woo, every time. I don't know if they do that in Boston, but that's what they bring. All right, so there's our backdrop. Game starts. 
Warriors start off pretty hot. I'm not really paying attention to them, and I start screaming defense on almost every possession. But with other people, you know, I mean, you know it's a thing that it's it's a, a known chant, and it's obviously annoying them. All right, and so that is the starter's gun for an antagonistic relationship between the three of them. My wife is getting more and more concerned. So I want to give you the three things. You tell me if I ever crossed over a line because she was so embarrassed. I mean, like hissing at your age. What are you doing? So all of that stuff, right? So the first thing I did, ramped up the defensive cheers. Still, I mean, I, was, I wasn't doing it when the Warriors were on offense. I mean, it was always when the we had to play defense, but I'm screaming defense specifically at those two people. I mean, I'm standing up, screaming down at them. What do you think? Uh, acceptable or maybe a little bit too much? Well, look, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm on your team wife on this one. Like I, I am not a real big on, you know, confrontation in public at all. I mean, I would rather eat a meal that tastes terrible than complain to the, to the waiter or the waitress of taking it back. So I can't put myself in your shoes necessarily, but I think that's fair game. It's your home arena. Okay. I mean, I think that there a lot comes with being at home and I think it's part of the deal that you get to say or a little bit of a looser leash than the road fans. I mean, I want to be a good guest, uh, you know, like for college football, for example, if I was to go to uh, my favorite college football teams, like rival game, I would probably sit in silence. I know that's like weird, but I, I just wouldn't be trying to um, ruin, uh, you know, ruin their lives by, you know, spill is like the, the sort of equivalent of like spilling wine on their carpet or something like that. No, by like talking a lot of trash, right. You know, what's really weird is that if I ordered a steak and they brought me a salad, I'd thank them profusely. And if somebody at the table was like, no, he ordered a, like, you know, like yeah. if somebody called me Graham for longer than a week, then they should just call me that for the rest of their life because I prefer not to call them out on it, you know, but for some so reason, this is your warriors counter personality is, is coming that's out. That's exactly right? right. And I felt like, I felt like they were attacking me. All right. But so I'll, I'll right. put these next well, two they were. together. Okay. Honestly, they that's were exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, but here's the here's the next two. I'll put them together so that we can move towards the Golden State stuff. The other two things I did is every single time anybody shot a free throw for Golden State, I screamed "woo" directly at them. And then oh. the ugliest portion of it, after Kaminga dunked on Tatum, I tried to start up an MVP chair, and there was only one person screaming that, and it was me. Until my wife pulled me down into my seat and then hissed the aforementioned you are being an asshole you need to calm it down so well here's the deal i i sympathize and empathize with your wife but you were 100 in the right all is fair and love and war you didn't make it per- i mean you kind of made it personal with like spinning their own lines back at them but it's not like you were mocking what they were wearing or how they looked or why they were there or anything so i think you were 100 in the clear and I'll tell you a story about a Celtics fan that was at the Clippers game, and I think it might actually make you feel better and even more vindicated. All right. Uh, this guy was standing directly between the media section and the court. So he's like in the second row. He shows up with the Tatum jersey. I can, I'm sure he was chanting MVP, uh, you know, just like the, the guy was up there in, in uh, Golden State. And, but um, the twist was he had a green and white clown wig, and then he had like green and white clown glasses and he was just letting everybody know he was the biggest Celtics fan in the building and the Clippers games let's be honest there's a lot of road fans who go to those games you have Warriors fans come down all the time Celtics fans you know they're just almost overrunning the building at times right by the fourth quarter when Tatum struggling through his second consecutive night from the field had didn't really look like an MVP in either one of those games the guy and I'm you know this is my perception my interpretation he was so ashamed of what he was watching on the court 
that he took the wig and off. the glasses off <laughs> and sort of like downgraded his outfit to a more normal fan's outfit. He was no longer standing up and cheering after every single basket and, you know, arguing with the referees about every single call. So he didn't have you to humble him, but I think his own <laughs> conscience in this situation humbled him to the point where, you know, maybe the guy who you were dealing with could have used a little bit of that energy. That's all I'm saying. I, so that did make me feel better. And just in, in case this makes me seem like I'm a bully or even like aggressive in any way. So that the night ends, obviously the Warriors win. Um, I go to the bathroom afterwards and we end up standing behind that guy who had been in front oh, of me. Boy. And so we've had this passive aggressive kind of back and forth for, I don't you know, fucking three hours. We immediately did everything we could to like pretend like there was nothing wrong. You know, like I'm looking at my phone. I was kind of afraid of him. <laughs> you know, like I didn't want the, if he had turned around, I think I would have apologized. So, you know, on the off chance, this makes me seem like a tough guy. I am not. I am not. Uh, which is what it is. Sorry, boys. But for the record, the takeaway there is you didn't apologize. So I think we can all <laughs> see, okay, all right. And we, we get it. Okay, we've rounded back to my first point. Ben, you are a fucking professional, and I appreciate you. To our golden questions, and this comes right from MT's theme. So the golden questions, Ben, is our mailbag. Here's the first one they sent in. Quote, are Steph and Golden State being officiated fairly? But I'm going to change it because that's a subjective question. You know, the what's fair, how they're being officiated, that kind of stuff. So let's make it objective. Uh, as of today, and Maxine, if we have that stat, go ahead and pull it up for us. My understanding, the Golden State has shot the least free throws in the entire league, while their opponents have shot the most free throws. So wow. while they are going to the lean the least amount of time, the, every team that they are playing, you know, their average is way up. So why? That's going to be the question. And before you give me a theory, let me run some fan theories by you because we reached out and we asked for people's opinions and I want to see if any of these speak to you. So here's the first, this actually isn't a fan. It's a future guest. It's from Jason Dumas, uh, Cron sports reporter who's might be joining us tomorrow, I think. And here's what he tweeted out quote, three first quarter texts. The referee fraternity is close and they definitely talk. The dubs have intentionally showed them up a few times in the last year and it seems like the refs remember and have been sticking it to them this season. So Ben and boys is the free throw disparity because the refs are harboring fuck yous towards Golden State? What do you think? Well, that's a phenomenal pull on the stat uh, from whoever found that. That's really – that blew my mind. Um, I think, first of all, people do seem like they're over Draymond. I would just say in general, not maybe one specific ref or whatever else, but going back to that Memphis series in the second round, you know, being there – it probably looked weird on TV. It felt so much weirder in person. It's like, Draymond, why are you dancing? Like, what are you doing? Like, it was kind of strange. And honestly, like, he was having a really good time, and I'm not sure everybody else was really on the same vibe <laughs> with that, right? So I would say that's part of it. Um, you know, one thing with Golden State is this team moves to basketball, right? They have been committed to that system, the way they play, you know, in terms of 0.5 decisions, keep things moving more than most teams and I think when you're really doing that and generating good shots, you would expect at some level to take fewer free throws than the average team that's relying more upon heavy isolation, pound, drive to the hoop type stuff. So it's not um, totally shocking to me that they would be lower than average. But dead last is you know pretty surprising given the star power they've got. 
And the other aspect, too, I think is Steph's size, where, you know, the bigger you are, I think it's the easier it is to see hits, right? And uh, he doesn't flop. And he, like you said, he doesn't typically whine. I mean, I remember he did lose his cool down in Phoenix earlier this season. Remember that when he had 50 and he had a little technical, he just like punched the ball. He wasn't mad at a ref, but like you could just kind of tell the frustration. It was more about his teammates as opposed to the calls, I think, Uh, or not him not mad at his teammates, but just mad at the way the game was unfolding. Um, So there's been some moments of frustration for Steph along the way, but it does feel like it's peaking. And I do think that he gets shortchanged in general. I think some of it's his size, some of it's his style of play. He's just not reckless. The dude's always in control. And I think that, you know, a lot of times you're going to get some foul calls when you're a little bit over assertive. You're throwing your body on the line. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're trying to create contact, going out of your way to sort of force collisions. And that's never been who Steph is. And so I do think that uh, he gets shortchanged, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure I believe the conspiracy yet, but I'm open to more evidence. So I've got some follow-ups, but first, uh, 1GMT, I know that we're going to lose you kind of early today. Let's get your shot on this, man. Um, so you already heard Jason's take. Here's another one we got. Quote, you don't understand basketball, asshat. Let me pause. The term asshat is inspired, nicely done. I don't know if I deserve it, but it was. Continuing. You found the Celtics guy. <laughs> it could be. If it is, I'm kind of afraid of him. I wish I hadn't read this now. Uh, but it continues. The Warriors don't drive the ball to the basket. What the heck are you watching? Golden State shoes threes and floaters. They don't even try to get a foul. If there's a free throw disparity, it's because of their style of play, not the rest, which is what Ben was just describing. So, MT, what do you think, man? Uh, you watch this thing. What's happening? I don't. I don't. I'm not full fledged conspiracy theory yet, um, but it, it is looking a little suspect. Um, I do agree a little bit on our style of play. Um, I know Noah was calling that out in the comments as well. Uh, we are 28th in the league of 30 in terms of points in the paint. So um, there is some truth to the fact that you know we do shoot more jump shots um, than called. But you know to to the other points in the chat as well. Steph usually gets fouled on, on most of his three point attempts. And, um, you know, you can make an argument in the case for that, uh, being missed too. I mean, there was a game where we challenged the call when Steph got hit across the head on a three pointer and they went to the cameras, looked at it and still didn't overturn it. So, you know, at this point you, you kind of throw your hands up. Like it's, if you're going to look at it and see his head jerk to the side off of a forearm crossing over it and still not call it, then, you know, it's a, it's a tough road ahead. So I'm not full conspiracy theory yet, but um, I do think there is some truth to the fact that the Warriors have been as good as they have been for so long. They do chirp at the refs a lot. Draymond hasn't helped the cause. And, you know, our style of play just makes for this perfect storm where, um, you know, this discrepancy is, is kind of getting magnified. But um, hopefully it'll balance out in the end. You know, the law of averages will will kick in by the time the season's over. Uh, but it's it's looking a little conspiracy-ish right now. CJ reported, friend of the podcast, that when Steph was asked about the foul that he was uh, furious about, right before he went crazy, the defender came up and asked him, are you okay? You know, and then the, I don't know yeah. if that added to like the frustration, but yeah, there's a disparity. Go ahead, Ben. I was going to say two quick things on style play. First of all, when the passing is really working and it looks beautiful, they do get points in the paint and it's like wide open layups and dunks, right? So you're, you're like, they, they yep. generate more of those when things are really rolling than the average team. And that's another reason why, you know, if you can't even rotate to like, you know, get to staff on the back cut uh, to yep. even foul him, then you just have to let it go for that layup. Right. I think that's one, I, the, the commenter uh, who's following along, I think he's right in terms of, 
referees are only going to call so many three point fouls per game. You know, there's, it feels like to me, they have sort of a diet and it's like, maybe you can get up to like three or four of those max in any one individual basketball game. But like, if you kind of give a player three free throws a couple of times, you know, it almost seems like you could encourage the defense to be a little bit more aggressive sure. in contesting those shots because I just don't feel like the referees want to just continually send the same shooter to the three-point uh, three line over and over and over again. And that would come at the you know, disadvantage of any team that shoots a lot of three-pointers, such as the Warriors, right, where yeah. they're building a lot of their offense around that. I won't say conspiracy, even if I believe in one, but I won't say conspiracy. Uh, here's what I'll say. Um, that flagrant foul documentary, which I've brought up a bunch of times, the Tim Donahue thing on Netflix. So who knows what percentage of that is true? The thing that definitely stuck out to me that, of course, is true is refs are human beings. They are not robots. And, you know, they, they've been paying attention. Draymond's pushed some buttons. The Warriors have been a little bit pompous. Would it surprise me at all if there's even something – uh, subliminal, something beneath the surface that's bubbling it up. You know, that that wouldn't surprise me if they're acting human and there's a little vindictive nature in some of these foul calls. Um, but the thing that really bothers me, and now this is super old hat, is the fucking lack of calls for Steph Curry. There is a history of superstars getting calls. There's a name for it. Superstar calls. He is a superstar. Why isn't he getting calls? I, like, I don't... Uh, if we were a poverty team, if we're a team that nobody wanted to watch nationally, you know, and then we weren't getting calls, fine. It's a television show. I get it. We are not. We are the highest profile team there is. Why we're not getting calls in this scenario not only doesn't make sense to me from a conspiracy standpoint, it doesn't make sense to me from a capitalism standpoint. You know, they should want <laughs> us to succeed. Why we're getting fucked on this, I don't get. Um, That's a great argument. We got to increase the basketball-related income by giving Steph Curry the calls. I love this. How David I, Stern made the league, right? It's like this is what he did. The fucking Jordan rules, like all of this. It 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 really doesn't make sense to me. But but give me. So I, I told you, and I meant it. I need an objective take. All right. So well, I have a question though. I have a question. Which type of call do you think Steph Curry gets shortchanged on the most, right? Is it the three-pointers when he's, you know, being contacted? Is it when he does go to the basket and he just refuses to flop and takes contact? Is it something else I'm not thinking of? Which ones? It's the middle one. So I think okay. your point, and I hadn't thought about it, but I think your point of refs don't want to call three-point fouls is, is more than legitimate. I think that's just practical reality. They're not going to give you more than one, probably. Um, but I think Steph recognized that occasionally, and he does. He, he has developed a way to get to the rim and, and uh, take contact, and he's not getting any of those calls that I have come to. So my, my apologies to the audience. You've heard me say this forever. Um, but, Ben, what I learned, so I mean, I've, this success is new to me. The, the Warriors were terrible my entire life, and then they turned it around. And what I learned while they were terrible is that superstars get different calls. You know, when right. Kobe came in and everybody, when they got these phantom calls, I had learned, yeah, okay, this is how it goes. You know, this is, this is how this league. And now that I have my superstar and he's not getting the calls, it just doesn't seem fair in any way. Maxine, we haven't heard you on this, man. What are you thinking? Look, I'm thinking, I, I agree a lot with what everybody's saying. I also do think it is the case that Steph gets fouled on a lot of threes. So like, yes, I understand that maybe he, shouldn't be getting as many calls to Ben's point. It makes sense, but still he's getting found a lot on them. And it's very frustrating to see that happen, especially when I just want to see the effects of him going nuclear. It's like one of the best things in sportsdom, right? Is to see Steph go off like that. So it's so frustrating, frustrating to have that taken away. I also do wonder that there's a certain 
both Steph and Jordan Poole, learning from Steph, have some really miraculous finishes around the rim. And they also tend to be really off balance and have some like cratering into the stanchion results of it, you know? And it's, it's almost like this like counterweight. It's like, okay, we know that they're not flopping, but it's, it's almost then, oh, okay, well, if you're falling over, I'm assuming as a ref that it's because you're off balance. And, and, and so they just stop paying attention, right? There's this, you know, it's almost like people are pointing out like, yeah, no, they just, this is how they play. And so you end up in these situations where you're not expecting people to get fouls. And because refs are human, they're just not paying attention to it in the same way. So I do think that, you know, it's that's just the icing on the cake of what we've been talking about. Everything is true that we don't play as much isolation ball. And the more you're going to pass, the less you're going to end up in situations where you're more likely to be receiving foul calls. Um, but I can't help but think at a certain point, look, I mean, it, there's an eye test to this sort of stuff, right? If you watch all the games at a certain point, you can you can explain all the statistics about why the Warriors shouldn't be getting as many foul calls as other teams, whatever. But it happens a lot and it is very frustrating. And I try to be unbiased as I look at this stuff and I can't help but think, yeah, there is a little bit of a discrepancy between the amount of times Warriors are getting calls versus the amount of times that the other teams getting calls. A little bit of a discrepancy. They're at the fucking top of both those lists. I mean, there that that is the evidence that we're currently talking about. That'll have to balance out. You would assume over a larger sample size. If it doesn't, um, you know, Lakeup needs to prepare the letterhead. You know, because that's exactly pretty right. weird. And Let's go. That's pretty. That's pretty unusual. And like the odds that that would happen is pretty low. You know, it's because that says you're. Offense. It's not just about your offensive style. It's somehow about your defensive style. Right. Where you're like going out there almost proactively trying to foul people. And that doesn't really, uh, you know, seem like what the Warriors are trying to do out there to me anyways. I mean, the the benefit here to your not getting the superstar calls is you do get the ultimate high horse, right? Well, you get to say, well, Steph plays honest. Uh, <laughs> Steph's just so strong in his core late in his career that, you know, the referees can't even see when he takes the contact because it doesn't really knock him off balance. And maybe it just adds to Steph's myth in, uh, you know, a different way. But uh, I do think, I mean, I'm sure if you compared the drive numbers, right, or the dribble touch numbers, right, or time of possession numbers, yep. you would see that there were some differences in terms of how Steph plays compared to how other people play. And maybe it's just one more example here of like this is just a crazy, crazy one-of-a-kind type player who came along, changed the game, kind of reoriented how it was worked, you know, turned it inside out, outside in, however you want to say it. And everybody's been kind of playing catch-up since, you know. I love that you gave me a high horse. If my opening story didn't show you that I'm a low road kind of guy, I'm not sure what else I can do to convince you. Um, and I like themes. So let's make this theme Bram embarrassing his wife. Uh, there's been three recent times, kind of, where basketball has really embarrassed Erica, not including what happened at the Boston game. Time number one, when I ran around my house after I won an NBA 2K championship by myself. And I'm not talking about like esports, man. I mean, I just ran a season on my own, one, and then ran around the house like I was a fucking champion. She was very embarrassed. <laughs> Two, when the Warriors won their second championship and I celebrated by running as fast as I could into our bench and broke my toe. And then finally three, last night when I was punching our couch in frustration because of the technical fouls on Steph and Curry. So, you know, it's a, uh, or Steph and Curry. I'm, I'm not a proud man, Ben, but I am apparently one who's out of control. So at least I have that. Here's our next one. Um, quote, Golden State is 12-2 and two at home and 2-12 and 12 on the road. Why are they world beaters in the Bay, but puff cakes on the road? What do you think, Ben? That's the million-dollar question. I, I'm not sure I have an easy answer. I do just want to kind of point out here, you know, I understand your, your developing theme. Um, you know, Maxime had me come on to, as a podcast guest, not a therapist, so I will charge by the hour Look, if we're going to continue to go back down to that <laughs> well, okay? 
How much time do you have, Ben? Because I mean, I know I know we only promised about a half, but if we're going that route, I'm gonna need like five or six hours, man. I'll I'll, uh, I'll shoot yeah. you a blank check. You can fill it out whenever you want. Well, I was gonna say that's the answer to the how much time you have question is how much money do you have question, right? I mean, that's usually how that <laughs> exchange works every single time. Check. Just don't catch the check, but that's fine. Write any number you want in, and and we'll be fine. Well, so let's um, let's stick with the the positive aspect, which is the Chase Center. Um, atmosphere i feel like a lot of people say oh it's not as good as oracle you know it's different acoustics that you know real fans all these kinds of things chase center is a tough place to win man i've watched them play a lot of games i watched them play a lot of playoff games at chase center last year i would not want to have to go in there you got to look up at the banners Mm. um you know you've got a fan base that is really knowledgeable and engaged even though it's you know probably some newer fans maybe compared to uh you know the previous building and when Steph gets going there, there's nothing like it. And if you start to even feel like Steph makes two or three shots in a row or Clay on Saturday against Boston comes out firing, right? That had yep. the Celtics back on their heels immediately because he's hitting yep. shots early. Same thing with Poole now. It seems like he hits a 50-footer every third game. You know, that gets the crowd going wild there. So I think that um, the home strength is actually really important, especially when you go to the playoffs. As you guys know, like protecting home court, the Warriors have been amazing at that through their entire dynasty. And there's lots of teams, uh, you know, who haven't been able to, uh, you know, to, to do that. And they, they wind up falling short. So don't take it for granted, I guess is my point. Like I understand being frustrated about the road stuff, but the home stuff is, is uh, equally important. And I think in the playoffs, it's arguably even more important, right? Sure, of course. Now, the road struggles are weird because the Warriors also were that team that always win a road yeah. game. You know, pretty much any playoff series, you can go in anywhere and just get it. And in a lot of these games, they haven't been competitive. And that part, to me, is strange. Typically, you would think, it, you know, if you're struggling on the road, and especially against teams you should be beating, that it's about the younger players or the new players, the guys who are, you know, new to the rotation who just either aren't comfortable in their roles, haven't been through the same kind of fires that the, you know, the big three have been through, yep. uh, you know, together. And maybe they're the, the ones kind of letting people down. But I do think that the failed Wiseman experiment early sort of nuked the on-off rating numbers. And it also kind of screwed yeah. up that road record. And they're almost kind of like digging out of that. But I can't blame Wiseman for the Bucks loss. So that's not the only factor. Uh, but I do think that that's at least one thing you should consider. Do you have an explanation on this, Maxime? I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I do not. I do not. I wanted to, had last night not happened, what my answer would have been is, well, that all happened early in the season. The Warriors have turned this around. We don't, you know, th- that's an old issue. It's not. They, as Ben put it, they didn't really show up last night. Uh, do you have any theories? I mean, what, what's, what's your guess on this one? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, first of all, I, I, I think Ben makes a really, a really interesting point, right? Um, that we are in a situation where the early season failures on the road um, does not necessarily equate to where we're at right now. And it's not just Ben that's saying it. It's Steph that said that too, right? In, in sort of, I think, a post-post game, I saw a video of him talking about, yeah, 10 games into the season, I said, yeah, we're not there yet. And now I, I basically mm-hmm. think we're there. We just haven't put the pieces together. And I think you've seen that same reflection, right? Steph can see that this team is there. There's just something that's not quite hitting yet. And I think it's kind of unfair to judge against the Bucks on the road I mean, Giannis is a, a a a freight train. He's terrifying. You know, it's like that's I don't, a tough place to win too, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. and on top of it, right? The Wiseman failed experiment. That's a, that's a that's a five spot. You know, like we don't have any big bodies other than Kavan to try to stop this freight train. And like, I don't think that's really Kavan's specialty so much as it is some of the more finessing, you know, footwork stuff. So it's a really really tricky matchup. And I just 
I, it's I don't I hope this is not copium, and I'm in a situation in another ten games on the road where we're still at this abysmal road record. But I kind of do feel like you know what, it's coming. We're almost there. This is an unfair one to judge us on for that road record, and it's about to turn around to be a little bit more in line with what we expect the Warriors to be like. At the risk of overquoting CJ, whose Twitter account I was apparently stalking last night, what he tweeted out from the locker room was, "There's no panic." That yep, frustrating loss. Nobody liked it, but that nobody seems to be taking it that hard, or that there's some unanswered questions that they have no idea how to approach. That you know, it just was what it was, and you move on, which is you know, championship pedigree. I mean, that's that's what we keep talking about. Um, but that's as weird of a stat as that free throw thing was. This is in that same category. It's a it's a very strange, gigantic disparity. And you know, and if the Warriors, I mean, Ben, the last time we had you on, I think was preseason and what we were I, I was already coordinating them you know oh won't the Warriors be better and why yeah, yeah. tell me how great Wiseman's you know and and now there's been moments like that you know there's been moments where we can see that greatness but then for every one of those there's a, a fucking Orlando loss you know there's a there's these unforgivable turnovers in in uh, Utah I mean just these weird games that keep cropping up well, so, you know, you mentioned kind of there's no panic. I totally agree with that. You know, coming out of that Saturday game, they se- seem to me like marathon runners who are trying to pace themselves. Let's just stay in the pack. And then we're going to try to kick this thing up in March and April. Right. That was sort of their mentality, you know, talking about nobody in the West has really broken free from a record standpoint. You know, nobody's running away with the conference and they seemed very cool and comfortable with that scenario. And I don't feel like they're trying to gun for like a one seat. I think they're like, look, if we're, if you're a top four seed by the end of the season and you've got home court in the first round, everything else will probably figure itself out. I think that's yeah. sort of their mentality. They, they have that much faith in Steph as a playoff performer, right? The other factor is they've been resting these guys on the road, right? Pretty much all the games they've, they've uh, rested, the main stars have been road games, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And some of those games they wind up dropping are games they definitely should have won if they had played their guys, right? And so a lot of this is almost like a schedule management thing where – they're just kind of circling different road games along the way saying like, all right, we'll just take a loss there. Who cares? And, you know, eventually it adds up between that and the Wiseman thing. And it's a pretty ugly record. The other thing I would do, and I I didn't have a chance to do this uh, before we talked, but I would go and look at the three point shooting splits of the role players home and road. Because one thing we learned from the bubble when everybody was in that same environment, they got to play there every single night is like, Hey, it's a lot easier to shoot when you don't have crowds yelling at Mm -hmm. you and your percentages go up and you don't have to worry about travel and those kinds of things. And the following year when there was like hardly any crowds in the arena, we saw some guys put up like massive shooting numbers um, where they were, you know, performing, I think, better, you know, both home and road than they typically would have. Right. And now we've got the crowds back. Maybe you're a younger guy. You're not totally comfortable in your role, whatever it might be. It's harder to shoot on the road in those situations than it typically is at home, especially if you're doing it without your star level guys who you're used to relying upon. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if you went like, say, you know, players like four through 12 on the Warriors roster. And you saw some real stark splits in their shooting numbers too. That's just a, a theory here. I'm throwing it sense. out there, No, that uh, makes but it sense. would, it would make sense to me. Well, and the way that it, the rubber hits the road for me is that this is the first time the Warriors needed younger players to play as large of a role as they're playing. And it's the first time where you would need these guys who aren't comfortable shooting on the road, taking those shots. And so no, it, it matches up uh, as far as the Warriors not taking it too seriously so far. What's that HBO documentary about NFL preseasons? Uh, Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks. I, I, yeah, okay, yeah. I remember a few years ago, the Raiders were on it. And it was it was a nightmare for a lot of reasons, mainly Antonio Brown. But there was one scene, I think that was Hunter Renfro's 
rookie year. And right before the first preseason game, they caught footage of Renfro going up to Derek Carr and saying, have you ever felt pressure like this? And Derek Carr looks at him like, yes, dude, it's a fucking preseason game. Like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and it's, and it's, it's kind of a reflection of what I would imagine the Warriors, you know, viewing this for early part of the regular season. It's like everyone else is taking like, oh, have you, you know, this is so important. And they're kind of look like, the fuck it is. You know, we'll, we'll make the playoffs. And then that's when it really starts. It's also out of necessity. Draymond's, you know, get yes. up there. You, you can't yes. play Draymond ball for eight months straight. You just yep. can't. He couldn't, I mean, he couldn't even play it throughout the entire postseason. He had some real stinkers last year's postseason. Now his highs were really high, but there was some up and down to that. Um, a little bit of the same story with Clay. And I think that, you know, him starting slow, I'm actually not as concerned about it. It seems like a lot of people because, you know, again, he should be pacing himself. And Steph definitely should be pacing himself. And that's really where it gets tricky because you can't really afford to sit Steph out too many games without just taking losses. But um, in general, I like the paced approach for the Warriors more than just basically anybody else in the league. I mean, in terms of the actual contenders, like Boston has no reason to pace itself, right? Yep. I mean, Jason, you know, Jalen Brown, yep. Jason Tatum, those guys can run around all day long. Giannis is going to be, you know, a freight train, just like Maxime was saying, 82 games a year, no problem. Um, the Warriors are unique among the true contenders in terms of the age of their core players, okay. and they should be taking it slower than any of those teams. Yeah, sure. And, and if you had to bet on any team's ability to win one on the road in the playoffs, you know, I'd take Golden State, and I don't feel too bad about it. We have mentioned Saturday night a bunch of times, and this conversation would have been a little bit uh, more fun had they not gotten their ass kicked in Milwaukee, but I still plan on enjoying it. So the question that was written in was, quote, how significant – was Golden State's win over Boston. And I just read uh, your article, Ben. Celtics Jason Tatum still can't solve Steph Curry and the Warriors. So this is you know, obviously uh, deep in my mind, but I want to split it up. And don't just tell me how significant it was for Golden State. Let's look at it through three different lenses. How significant was it for Boston? How significant was it for the Warriors? And then finally, for Jason Tatum. So start with Boston. What do you think? How much did this game mean? Well, I think that, you know... Jason Tatum was trying to say, oh, it's not that important. It's just one game. It's not going to define our season. And that's true. It's not going to define their season, right? But I thought Jalen Brown was a little bit more honest when he said, look, we played tense. and It seemed like we had this game circled and we were just sort of overthinking it because they wanted to kind of get that monkey off their back in terms of uh, the way last year's final series ended. I thought it meant a lot for Boston. It was a great opportunity in terms of just moving past the struggles um, in that final series of just kind of reminding yourself, Hey, we could do this. You know, it was like the last three games, everything seemed impossible as that series got away from them. Right. And instead it all just seemed impossible again, right? Like everything was really, really hard for, for Tatum and, and everybody else, uh, you know, kind of right down the list. Um, it was also a great opportunity for Tatum to be like, I'm an MVP. Here's why. And instead clay outplayed him. Steph outplayed him. Jalen Brown outplayed him. And so like at best, he's like fourth player, uh, fourth best player on the court. And this is an ABC Saturday game. It was like 3.6 million people watched and they all saw the exact same problems, uh, you know, as they saw last June. And so I think it was much more important to them than, you know, especially, uh, you know, Tatum and, and their coaching staff wanted to let on. It obviously doesn't ruin them. You know, they came back and got a nice national TV win against the Lakers on Tuesday, even though they almost blew it, which uh, would have been Kind of right. funny, um, but, uh, you know, it's it's not like a season breaker, but I do think it could have been a, a real confidence booster, right? A season maker for them if they go in there. Let's say they win by 20. Yeah. Now they're saying we're the best team in the league by far. We've got one of the yeah. most efficient offenses of all time. We do have the MVP, and it just seems like some of those cracks of that confidence started to show. 
they missed Horford, man. They could not get stops without Horford. And you look ahead to the postseason, their defense is going to be up to uh, be a lot better than it's been so far this year. And they need both Horford and Williams to kind of make yeah. that happen. I think both those guys, whether it's age or injury concerns, are people you have to kind of circle and keep an eye on. I don't know why people are giving Tatum so much shit. I gave him a bunch of MVP chance during uh, yeah. Saturday. And so it, it was there. Um, I mean, For me, to look at what this would mean to Boston. I haven't talked to anybody. It wasn't in the locker room. But the story doesn't start this year. It doesn't start at the beginning of this season. It starts at the end of last season, right? We didn't just beat them for the championship. We beat them in their building. And then as they gave press conferences afterwards, the last interaction they had with the Warriors in a public setting was them talking about how their season was over while fuck you Draymond chants came out of Golden State's celebratory locker room. So you sit on that, right? You sit on that the whole offseason. Then you sit on it during the regular season and you start beating up on all these other people. And there's no, I don't give a shit what they say. There's no way this game wasn't circled on their calendar. And this is it. This is your chance. You're going back to beat the bully. You go in there, you shit the bed. Yes. Does it mean something to him? Of course it does. You can't say that. It better. You know? If yeah. it doesn't, that's a problem, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly. And you know, it's, I'd almost feel better if they had just come out and, you know, and look, we had a, we had an off game. This one didn't mean a lot to us, but them pretending that it didn't, really underlines to me that it did. I, mean, I, I just, I absolutely think that it did, which leads us to Golden State. Maxime, why don't you take this one? What do you think? How much did Saturday night's win mean for the Warriors? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm so turned around at this point because I think it was pretty deflating to come out of that and go to Milwaukee. And um, it, it made me think, oh, maybe this team actually doesn't have it together as much as I was puffing my chest um, after that win. Because I tell you what, if you take that as just a single game win, it's a big deal. Right. Yep. It's it's us defending our championship and saying emphatically, like, no, we are still, you know, we're still deserving of this title. Um, not that anybody's saying that we're not, uh, but it's a different season. And I think it's very exciting to see them start to put the pieces together. That's the second point that I was bringing up earlier. We're getting back into a position where it's like, Perfect. ah, OK, Jordan Poole is maybe looking like the beginnings of the person that we paid that expensive salary to this summer, right? Clay Thompson is finally starting to put the pieces together. And I think he deserves all the time in the world to come back from two pretty nasty injuries back to back, starting to be able to play some serious legitimate defense um, on a, on an MVP caliber player uh, in Jason Tatum. That's really, really exciting to see because that's part of what made Clay Thompson so valuable. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited. And sure, then you go out and you drop the game and maybe a, a better version of myself would tell myself, hey, don't worry about it too much because we're starting to see glimpses of it. And if you just listen to Steph Curry say, yeah, the pieces are starting to come together. Maybe it's going to take a couple more games, but I think they could continue to point to that maybe even for the rest of the season, maybe even into the beginning of the playoffs and say, hey, that game against the Celtics, Back in December, that mattered. Remember, we can do this. And that's all maybe that the confidence that they would need to then go back out um, and, and put the pieces back together for a third quarter run or something. It's a reminder of who they are. You don't, you win four championships, you know, you go through that, then a December game, even if it's national tight or nationally televised and Saturday night and all of that, it's not going to be the end of the world. You know, you've, you've seen this a lot of times, but you also need the occasional reminder of who the fuck you are. And this season has been bereft of those. We haven't had a lot. And so I, I, the same thing, I bet you the Warriors would say, no, we've said we've done this a million times and that was just another game. But I don't think that's true either. I don't think it meant as much to them as it did to Boston. But I do think that they needed that little push. What do you think, Ben? You agree? 
Well, think about it this way, Maxime. How would you feel after that Bucks loss if they had also lost the Celtics game pretty badly, right? Like, yeah. which yep. would be a very different conversation yep. today. I mean, it would be a lot more therapy. therapeutic. I think yeah. you'd probably be leaving your wife out of it, Bram, and it would just all be about the negative feelings that you have to work through about the basketball, right? So, and that would be understandable. So, I do think that's the, where the value of that win comes in. Um, you know, I also. Again, going back to the the zoom out perspective of like, well, this has been a pretty rough couple of opening months for the Warriors. If you're talking about how a title defense could go versus how this one's going, um, I do think this one gives you some belief, right? This one can kind of carry you for a little bit. And you don't want to just rely on that. You don't want to be the team that says, oh, once we get to the playoffs, we're just going to crank it up. Because I remember some Lakers teams in the early 2010s who kept telling themselves, oh, we're just going to crank it up when we get to the playoffs. And the playoffs show up, people start getting ejected left and right. And all of a sudden you're going out really, really early and it's kind of ugly, right? So yeah, that's a fine line to walk. Um, but I do think when you're the Warriors and you're thinking, well, we could face this team in the finals yeah. You feel pretty good that maybe you're in Tatum's head a little right. bit. Maybe yeah. you've held him to 36% shooting going back to the start of last season, right? Cumulatively. That's crazy. Nobody else is, you know, having that kind of success in, in a big game sample against Jason Tatum like that. He hasn't scored 30 in his last nine games against the Warriors. He's averaging 30 points per game this year. I saw him score 40 plus last night, right? So I, I think that those kinds of things could actually really help. I would not want to have to be the Celtics. Uh, you know, coming in to that final series, you know, you know, dealing with all the pomp and circumstance of finals media day and everybody bringing up like, well, look what happened to you guys, you know, this year, look what happened in last year's finals. Like all those things just kind of hang over you and it could be motivational for a team, you know, Michael Jordan against the Pistons, you know, getting the monkey off sure. your back and drove yeah. him for years and years and years. Um, but I, I doubt we would find a quote from MJ in like 1989 <laughs> saying, Oh, it was only one game. Don't judge me by this one game. You know, I, you're not seeing that. Uh, so perfect transition. I guess our real theme is you being a professional. The last one is what did this mean to Jason Tatum? But before we give our responses, let me give you a couple of differing views. We've mentioned the quote. Let's go ahead and play it. We got uh, Tatum ready to go. Uh, you really, really got to take care of the ball. Um, I guess this thing. You said the other day, like, we'd all make a big deal about this game, but for you guys, it's, it's kind of another one. How, how do you kind of push aside and, you know, not get caught up in, you know, reactions to this? And, and you know, obviously it's a long season ahead. It's one game, all of that. Um, but, you know, it's meaningful to a lot of people as well. Uh, I think, yeah, tonight was, um, you know, probably more meaningful to you guys than it was to us. Um, it's one game. We want to win every game we play for sure. Um, but, you know, it's tough. We never want to lose, and uh, we've been playing well, and to lose this one, especially the way we played, was tough. Uh, you can cut it there. All right, so there's Jason Tatum speaking. Let me give you another opinion. This is from a Mr. Ben Golliver. Quote, this was Tatum's chance to move past the memories of his poor shooting and sloppy ball handling in June and to make his MVP case on ABC's first Saturday primetime broadcast of the season. But... In an underwhelming performance, I saw him outplayed by Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson, as well as teammate Jalen Brown during Golden State's 123-107 runaway victory at Chase. Tatum succeeded only in resurrecting the doubts that accumulated during Boston's final collapse. Phenomenally well written. 
What do you think, Ben? All right, so you're right. Well, I agree you, with that Ben Golver guy. That sounded great. Uh, <laughs> I definitely awesome. think he nailed this, not Tatum, you know? You know, what I can tell you is he is a phenomenal couples counselor, too. I don't know if you have any problems, yeah. like, with marriages, but you can go to him, and he, he talks okay. you right through it. Um, but so, I mean, you you were there. You saw Tatum. You know, you, you knew the stakes going into it. What do you think? Did this mean a lot to him, or was this just one game? Well, look, he's had an awesome season. I, what I actually loved about him is he says, I've played great in 24 out of the 27 games this year. And he's like, he's got it down to a science. He's like that careful with his self-evaluation that he's like going to say, you know, okay, I've had three bad games, but don't forget about the rest of them. I also think it's really important. He he made this point to say, essentially, don't judge players on their best day or their worst day, right? Like, don't say, hey, just one bad game against the Warriors. That's going to define our entire season. I, I wholeheartedly believe in that philosophy because – when you're really trying to find players, where do they stand? It's about consistent greatness, right? It's about, okay, smooth everything out over the course of a big sample size. Who's really the best, not just who can reach the, the biggest peaks, um, you know, a couple times a year. And I think that Tatum is one of these guys who typically consistency is one of his real um, strengths because he's a two-way player who doesn't have a massive negative ego in any way. He's like a good teammate. You know, he's not going to like, you know, ball hog or, you right. know, be difficult or, you know, yell at screaming officials or show up as coach, any of that stuff. He's just a very steady personality and it's a huge key strength. But I guess my, my point uh, in that column was if you do want to be an MVP, which it seems like he does, because they, they talk about it a lot of us. And if you do yeah. want to win a championship, your best player has to kind of rise up in those moments. I mean, you could be as steady as you want to be, but you know, it's, like 2014, San Antonio Spurs, Tim Duncan's the steadiest superstar we've seen in NBA history. Right. He still had to go to Oklahoma City and, you know, hit these turnaround, uh, you know, leaning one-legged bankers off the backboard to put away the Oklahoma City Thunder, right? You still have to kind of rise up in those big moments. Yep. We didn't see that from Tatum's in game four, five, and six of the finals. I mean, in general, in the finals, it was a pretty underwhelming offensive show. A lot of sloppiness, a lot of turnovers, a lot of missed shots, and not a lot of counters, you know, to how Golden State was playing him. Sure. And the Warriors had the perfect training for Jason Tatum. They had to defend LeBron James. They had to defend Kevin Durant in right. postseason environments, right? So this is going back to 2015, 2016, right? But they've seen a big-time wing sure. player and what those guys could do. And Tatum's just not quite as good as those players were at their peak levels. And so I think there's a lot of confidence from Golden State's coaching staff and from their big guys you know, that we know how to scheme this guy. We kind of know how to take him out. And I think that Tatum knows that a little bit. I mean, yeah. he seemed down. He seemed a little bit um, – I, I don't want to overstate it. It wasn't like he was inconsolable after that loss. But, you know, he just – he was trying to figure it out. Like, what just happened, you know? And, and how did this happen again? And so I, I think for him, it just raises the stakes and the pressure the next time they play. And if they do meet up in the playoffs, it's going to be something that he has to kind of break through and prove. And And – um, every player's had to do it. I mean, Chris, Paul, I remember uh, Steph Curry going against Chris Paul early right. in his career in right. the playoffs, yes. right? Um, yes. Had to take down LeBron. You know, there was a lot of different check, like the Grizzlies series, you know, oh, can you uh, do it against a tough-minded defensive yeah. team that's going to hack you and all that kind of stuff. And there's all these kinds of steps they have to get through. And um, the Warriors right now are Tatum's boogeyman. There's kind of no way around it. That makes sense. Uh, and we'll see how that plays. I know this has gone longer than we promised. So this is our final question. All right. And it came from me but it needs a little bit of background. So you already know I went to the game on Saturday. Let me give you some more details. The Warriors gave uh, me an opportunity to do this thing called the MVP experience. And it was fucking awesome. Um, in fact, I don't mind saying, if you were out there looking for like a premium gift for, uh, for anybody out there in your life who loves the Warriors, this is the thing you want to do. And what it is that they do is they meet you out front. 
They give you concierge service. They bring you in before anybody else does. They bring you up to the suite level, which, by the way, is dope. I have never seen the suites in any context. Even the bathrooms are hell of nicer. They've got all these like murals and newspaper clips, all this cool stuff. And then they bring you into a room. And in that room is both the trophy and the ring. And you then get to try on the ring. You get to pose by the trophy. Um, they give you free drinks. It is a very cool experience. Franco Finn was in there, um, and it was amazingly enjoyable. And there's another step, the splash challenge, where you get to go down and actually shoot on the court. That part I'm going to save for our next podcast. But I did have a question that popped up. With us is a Boston fan. And I know that, Ben, because he is dressed in fucking head-to-toe Boston gear. In fact, Maxine, but we've got that video. Go ahead and play it. What this is going to show, man, is the room we were in. You can see the trophy. You can see all the little random stuff they had set up. We're going to go back and forth. There's the Boston guy posing with the trophy. And keep going, Maxine, towards the end of the video. We'll get a better, uh, a better look at it. But I have three cascading questions for you, okay? Question number one, is it okay that a Boston fan decided to go to the Warriors MVP experience? I mean, is that... Is that a socially acceptable thing or is that kind of weird because it's not his fucking team? I have another uh, fan story for you from that Clippers game uh, the other night. So this guy was in the front row uh, decked out in Celtics gear. But afterwards, Paul George always kind of comes over to their area because uh, his parents sit nearby. After the game ended, the Clippers won. This guy somehow had taken off his Celtics jersey, turned his Celtics hat around and was trying to get a photo with Paul George after he had just been cheering for the Celtics like hard for like two and a half hours. And he was trying to kind of like downplay the fact that he was a Celtics fan. It was wild, man. Uh, it's like chameleon abilities. I don't know. Um, so first of all, it looked like he had a Warriors. Was he was he putting the Warriors championship ring on in those okay. photos? Yes. Or- okay. So the, here's our three questions. All right. The, okay. Is it okay for a Boston fan to have been there? All right. Next yes. level, because this, and I think so too, you pay money, you can be there. All right. Next level, and the story that you just told is the perfect transition. Next level, is it okay for a Boston fan to be there and then be wearing Boston gear? Because at least that dude with Paul George recognized like, okay, well, this yeah. is, you know, I got to take off the jersey and I got I to gotta hide the hat. And then the final thing is, if you're a Boston fan and you've decided to wear the Boston gear, are you allowed to pose with the ring and the trophy? I feel like you've picked your side. You can't be up there posing with the ring and everything, but- We've established I'm a psychopath. What do you think? So first of all, he gets to be there, no question about it. And I think the trophy, it's not just your trophy. I guess it's the Warriors trophy, but it's the Larry O'Brown trophy is the championship trophy. That that represents all champions and and kind of all championships throughout NBA history. And so I think that belongs to everyone, Um, even if the little nameplate says Warriors. Now, if I was him, I would crop the nameplate out so you couldn't see that it was the Warriors championship trophy. (laughs) And I would just pretend it was like the, you know, the 2008 or 29 uh, whichever one uh, the, the Celtics' most recent championship was, I would just pretend it was that trophy. And I think in general, when you're a franchise that has as many titles that they've won, um, that trophy in, in some ways almost belongs to the, the Celtics fan base oh, more down. than almost anybody you else. You settle down over there, Ben. It's not the Stanley Cup, dude. They got, I think they give out like multiple trophies. So there's not one that's just been hanging around with a fucking – Right, but it's about, the, it's about the way it represents, right? Like if you if you were to be you know on a random road show and you're in Arkansas and the NBA is just bringing their trophies around, and it's like you would associate that with the, the four <laughs> that Seth has, right? That with the yeah. <laughs> but that's I where I draw the line on the ring. Because the ring, that is team specific, okay? And if you're a true fan, you don't try on another organization's ring. 
the trophy belongs to all. The rings belong to one person. And I, I think that's a pretty clear delineation perspective. Um, and I could understand wanting to look at it. I could even understand like taking a picture of it uh, because there's some, you know, people here in LA, the Lakers uh, guys, they'll bring uh, the rings around to parties as like party favors, just kind of show them off. You know, it's like kind of cool, but you know, if, like if I was a diehard fan of a different organization, like I would never, as a Michigan football fan, I would never pose with Ohio State's right. championship ring. I would rather cut my finger off than do that, right? I wouldn't even want to be, I wouldn't even want to be in the same room with it, but I under, I could understand why somebody else would, right? And if we had the same kind of championship trophy, if we had won one of those in, in the same way that they had, then I would view them all being equal and, and fair game. I'd like to tell you that it didn't distract me and I was able to just enjoy my time. But instead, I spent the entire time judging that individual and being super angry about it and taking a video. You know I mean, like, if you look at that video, it wasn't like, oh, look at this incredible surroundings. There's the trophy it was. Look at this Boston fan. This is so unfair. I can't wait to tattle on him when I get to record about well, this. Here, here's the thing, though. It's not a do you, do you view it as a rivalry with Boston or no? Because I don't really view that as a rivalry. I feel like the oh, Celtics man. are hated by like 10 different fan bases more than yeah. you guys. No, the um, the Lakers, Boston is. I mean, that's that's yeah. the existing rivalry that they have. Ours is way too new. There, there's. I mean, it's only one yeah. series, you know. So no, there, there's. I mean, I tried to start one with somebody who was half my age, you know, a row ahead of me. But no, there is no existing rivalry. Um, it was really just my unfounded anger. I think yeah, it, no, uh, it makes it a little bit better, though. Like you know, it's if it's a direct rival, that's really where you know it's completely uncomfortable. But. Um, I am trying to put myself in his headspace, though, because those last three losses in June had to hurt, man. I mean, I was there in Boston Garden when Steph was tearing these guys apart. And, like, there was a lot of really sad, upset people going home looking like their entire year had been ruined, you know? Like, just everything had just been, like, snatched out from underneath them. And you see that every year at the end of the finals. I'm not just trying to pick on the Celtics fans, but to turn back around and be like, oh, that's the trophy they won. Oh, that's the rings they got. I, I'd have a hard time getting up for that, man. Am I capable of going to that? Yeah. Am I, like, if, let's say Boston did it and they had a similar experience. You know, Am I capable of going? Sure. Am I capable of wearing Warriors gear in there? Yeah. It's, it's a little assholey. You know, it's like going to a guy named Mike's birthday with a shirt that says, fuck Mike, but fine, whatever. Am I capable of doing that? But there's no way I'd go and pose with their shit. I'd stand in the yeah. corner being like purposely angry looking, you know, like trying to ruin their party. Um, Maxime, It'd be like the Westbrook, the Westbrook meme when Katie has the MVP trophy and he's like, oh, looking at it like he wants to get it. I'd be like Westbrook at the back of the Darvin Ham press conference, you know, just just looking like watching everybody, not participating, but also participating. Uh, Maxime, I could see you kind of pulling this off. No. I could see you like, like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. I'm enjoying my time. I paid for this. You know, it was a gift or something. I'm going for it. Am I off on that? Yeah, yeah. I'm even like going one step further than Ben, right? If I'm like at my favorite college team's rival stadium, I don't even know that I can stomach wearing. I mean, I would probably wear my own team's gear, but I wouldn't be overt about it, which means I would definitely not be posing with their ring you know it's like it's just such a weird move and it's i, I don't know it feels like self-flagellation almost like i mean this guy probably needs to go to ben's therapy hour right because how are you going to put a ring on stare at the golden state logo that's blinging right back at you and be okay with that i just i don't know i couldn't do it you know in addition to when Benyama's huddle also copyright ben's therapy hour because we, we might have to do that as well ben thank mm -hmm. you new revenue stream uh, yeah, it's coming in. It's coming in. That blank check's on its way too. I really enjoyed this. I am sure I'm not the only one. For people who need way more Ben Golliver in their life, where do they go? Uh, WashingtonPost.com slash sports for all the writing. Um, Greatestofalltalk.com for the podcast. And uh, at Ben.Golliver on Twitter. For me, 
of a picture, you know, for a picture of me rather uh, with the MVP trophy. Got it up there already. Oh. So it's not quite the Larry O'Brien trophy. It's not quite the Warriors championship ring, but that brand new MJ trophy. Got my hands on it this week. Good time. Boom. We appreciate you uh, for us. You want to get us a question for us to answer? Want to let us know we did a good job, bad job, any job. You can shoot us an email to huddle at warriorshuddle.com. We're also on social media, but not in a whole lot of spots. We're only on Twitter. That one's at Warriors Huddle. With that in mind, and with our professional as hell graphics rolling on the bottom of the screen here, go Warriors! Hopefully, we'll see you next week. Good, good.